It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Jesse Robinson. I'm a pastor here at Trinity. If you're new here, especially if you're new to Charlottesville, let me extend a welcome. We are so glad that you are here. I would love to meet you out in the courtyard room, which is going to be to your left, my right, after the service. Just a little bit of orientation. Uh, some of you are new. I have a, a physical disability called cerebral palsy, which leaves my uh, motor skills impaired, my coordination uh, a little bit dysfunctional, and it gives me a great sense of humor. So just a, I think it's a great sense of humor. <laughs> my wife might disagree. Um, so we have two tasks today. The first is that we are in a, the midst of a, a series introducing life at Trinity. And we have these four, four ministry areas at Trinity. We have Worship, which last week we heard Mike give us a fantastic sermon on what the heart of worship is. And today we're moving into community. Community. What does it mean to be a community? We'll do spiritual formation next week, and then we'll end with mission and mercy. But today is community. So I want you just to very quickly just look around. Are there people next to you? Maybe they're a little bit further away. What we're going to be thinking about is, how do we treat those people that you just looked at? Not, not your family, but your spiritual family. How are you, how are we as a community, what is our community life like? You see, when God saves us, he not only saves us from sin, he saves us into a community. In fact, of the 66 books of the Bible, I... Maybe, maybe five of them were written to one person. They're all written to a community, meant for a community. Even the ones that were sent as personal letters were meant to be read out loud. We are a community. So that's the first task we have. But the other task we have is that we get to install Josiah Carey as the RUF campus minister to the University of Virginia. Now, as we read Romans 12... I think you're going to see how extremely relevant this is to that task. First of all, as I've been meditating on these verses, I've gotten to know Josiah uh, decently well. He moved in four houses for me. Um, and so we got to hang out, and, and I've repeatedly thought of Josiah and his wife, Kelly, as I've read Romans 12. Like the way that they live their life, the way that they love us, my wife and I, has been a taste of Romans 12. And yet, also, Romans 12 is, is the same kind of community that Josiah is seeking to labor and to establish on the grounds of UVA. So I want us to be thinking about that as we jump into our text. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. You can follow along on your bulletin, or you can read on the screen or in your Bible. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. How do one another in showing honor? Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we ask for your blessing upon this sermon. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it nourishes us. And we ask most of all that we would see Jesus in this text. We would taste his love, and he would change us, change our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In verse 9, if you look at it, it says, let love be genuine. Now the Greek here actually lacks a verb. It actually just says sincere love, or genuine love. And so I want you to think of this like a heading for everything that follows. We're going to be looking at all these verses and how they relate to this genuine love. And we're going to look, I have four points. We're going to look at the heart of love, the honor of love, the harmony of love, and the hospitality of love. The heart, the honor, the harmony, and the hospitality of love. So, what is the heart of love? First, why this adjective genuine? Isn't love stand by itself? The Greek word for genuine here actually means without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. It's interesting. Our culture is obsessed with love. Like love is all you need. But there is this problem of authenticity. There is a love that masquerades as love, but is not love. And let me illustrate that with a uh, Justin Bieber song from 2015. I asked uh, Josiah Carey if I should reference anything. He said, make sure you reference Justin Bieber. <laughs> and he didn't do that. That's purely me. And I realized that 2015 is entirely too recent for half of you and entirely too ancient for the other half of you. So it's completely irrelevant. But he put out this song called Love Yourself. And it's got to be like the top 20 most devastating breakup songs. Quote, my mama don't like you, and she likes everyone. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> but the chorus, the chorus, that's what I want to get to. The chorus goes like this. Because if you like the way you look that much, oh baby, you should go and love yourself. Because if you like the way you look that much, oh baby, you should go and love yourself. The whole song is this brilliant, biting reflection on selfish love, on possessive love, insincere love. And Bieber rightfully judges it as self-love. Just go and love yourself, because that's really all you want. 
Okay, maybe Justin Bieber doesn't do it for you, for you highbrows. <laughs> Psychologist Eric Fromm made a similar point. Fromm was not a Christian, but he wrote this book in the 1950s called The Art of Loving. The Art of Loving. It's a, it's a magnificent reflection on love from a non-Christian viewpoint. He writes, quote, The main condition, the main condition for the achievement of love is the overcoming of one's narcissism. Right? It is this self-obsession that keeps us from authentic love. Fromm says that, that love is essentially self-giving. He says, what does one person give to another? He gives of himself. Of the most precious thing he has, he gives of his life. Now Fromm, interestingly, goes on to caveat that this does not necessarily mean that he sacrifices his life for the other, but rather that a person should give what is most alive in him. But I think that sacrifice, that's an interesting thing. Fromm is saying that in order to love, you need to give yourself to someone. And the Bible recognizes a very similar principle. It recognizes both these principles, that self-love keeps us from genuine love. And that the essence of love is actually a self-giving. This is what the heart of love is. It's to give myself to you sacrificially. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So how do we get at this heart of love? If, if this is something that we inherently struggle with, how do we get it? Now we need to back up, because we are dropping in to a symphony, like three-fourths into the way done. The whole book of Romans is this gorgeous exposition about what the gospel is. But when you look and see, where has Paul mentioned love before? Every instance of love, it's, it's scattered a couple, a couple of times in Romans before this. Every time, it's actually about God's love for us. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. For Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, you were still a sinner. You didn't know how to love. And yet God began. He started. He loved us. He moved towards us. And not only that, but he actually pours in love into our hearts. We would not know what love is if it was not for God's love beginning. That is the selfless love. Uh, John says it another way. He says, we love because he first loved us. Right? That is the heart of love. Christ's love is absolutely selfless. That's the gospel, right? That we were sinners, that we deserve nothing, and yet Christ gave his very life. Fromm says, you don't need to sacrifice your life. Yes, you do. Jesus had to. That's what love is. And it's our experience of Jesus' authentic love that actually makes our love possible. Once you've tasted it, it empowers you. It gives you a new heart that you might give authentic love. And now, Paul immediately gives us a litmus test for the authenticity of love. Look at verse 9. It's a dedication to goodness. It says, let love be genuine. 
abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Our culture is convinced of the goodness of love, but not that love needs goodness. Our culture is convinced that, that love is good, but it's not convinced that you need good to have love. You see, love always has a moral trajectory. Think of love as a wind with a vector. Like when my love comes in contact with you, it needs to be pushing you towards something. I cannot give my three-year-old dessert every time that she asks for it. That's not love. That's not good for her, right? Love has this moral trajectory. C.S. Lewis actually references love and hatred here. He, he summarizes this so well in problem, The Problem of Pain. He says, Love may forgive all infirmities and love still in spite of them, but love cannot cease to will the removal. Love is more sensitive than hatred itself to every blemish in the beloved. Do you see that passion for good? As the Livest Testament, authentic love is I'm not just going to merely affirm you. I'm going to push you towards goodness. There are churches in our community that, that, that advertise that they're open and affirming. And that, that means something in our culture. That means a certain stance in sexual ethics. And friends, this church, our church, Trinity, we need to be open and affirming with everyone. And yet, love never merely affirms. Do you hear me? Love never merely affirms. Because Jesus never merely affirms. When Jesus loves you, you have to change. You have to change. Friends, we need to be a loving community that accepts anyone who walks through the doors because Jesus accepted you. But we are to love them with the word of God and towards Jesus that they might know purity and righteousness and goodness. Goodness. Now let's move to the honor of love. Verse 10b. Outdo one another in showing honor. You could put many of these exhortations in the bucket of honor. There's a lot here. We can't do all of it. But I want to just put a big bucket, bucket that says honor. And a lot of these fall into this. Right? Bless those who persecute you. We are to honor even our enemies. Or rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Honor the emotions of others. Men, honor the emotions of others. Your wives, your children. Now, humans are naturally competitive. We want to be better than each other. And the standard differs, differs depending on who you are, where you are. In Texas, it was the size of your pickup. It really was. Here in Charlottesville... It's your education, the merits of your nonprofit, the righteousness of your politics, right? And, and Paul appeals to this competitive spirit, even while undermining it. How's he undermine it? He says, outdo one another. Great. I love outdoing you. I want to be the best. But what am I supposed to outdo in honoring you? Honoring. The competition is actually to respect, to esteem each other. The NIV reads, honor one another above yourselves. 
above yourselves. When I was a teenager, I remember hearing a sermon on uh, Philippians 2.3, and the, the old NIV says, In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Consider others better than yourselves. And I remember having such a hard time with that. Because, I, like, what if they weren't better than me? <laughs> Was God calling me to lie? <laughs> it's only... It's only been a couple of years I realized just how arrogant that is, right? <laughs> like that reveals something. Our inability to honor someone is completely tied to our humility. Our humility. Humility is needed for genuine love. Look at 16b. It says, do not be haughty, but associate with lowly. You know how God will judge our congregation? By whether people, by whether we respect class differences or race differences or ethnic or culture, like those who are most insignificant in the eyes of the world, like they better be valued deeply by us. Associate with the lowly, it says. Who struggles to honor? It's the haughty. The haughty. Eric Fromm in The Art of Loving actually recognizes this humility too. He says, love being dependent on the relative absence of narcissism requires the development of humility. You have to have humility to honor. You might have seen the, the movie The Butler. It's based on the life of Eugene Allen, the longtime butler at the White House. Uh, Allen, an African-American, was actually born in Buckingham County, Virginia, um, just a, a less than an hour from here, and raised on a farm near Scottsville. He worked as a waiter for many years, and then he got a job at the White House. And he worked for 34 years under eight presidents. He was hired first as a pantry man, but rose in the ranks until he became the butler to the president. And once Allen was preparing for a state dinner, and the first lady, Nancy Reagan, stopped by the kitchen to chat through the dinner. Before she left, though, she informed Eugene that he would be attending as a guest with his wife rather than as a butler. Alan became the first butler to be invited to a state dinner. Now, I want to give Nancy Reagan some credit here. Outdo one another in showing honor. Like, how can we honor others? How can we bring honor? That was a move of honor. Look at the last phrase in verse 11. Serve the Lord. That term serve in the Greek is actually the Greek word for servant. And, the, and that story I just told you about the butler, who did you identify with? Who did you identify with? Were you, the butler, were you Eugene Allen? Were you Nancy Reagan? That reveals something about how we think of ourselves, isn't it? You see, we are butlers for the Lord. We are servants. The term servant is, is one of the most frequent names the apostles take for themselves. You read the beginning of most of the epistles, and what does it say? Paul, a servant. Peter, a servant. Even the brother of Jesus, Jude. Jude, a servant. That's what, the, that's what community is here, is that we come into this as servants of the Lord. What did Jesus do? 
He took the form of a servant. Friends, that is what it means to honor someone. When you rightly see yourself as a servant, it is not difficult to honor anyone. And that leads us to our third point, the harmony of genuine love. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Now we need to back up to this ta- back up from this ta- passage. Because right before this, Paul has just laid out all these gifts of the body. He says the church is like a human body, and just like there are many parts in a body that all have different functions, so it is with the church. He says, quote, We though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So I want you to think. Think of an Olympic athlete. Can you imagine? Let's say a 100-meter uh, dash. When the gun shoots and they push off the starting block, like each body part is working in harmony as they run. The arms are pumping. The hips are allowing the legs to stretch forward. The heart is beating faster to circulate oxygen. And the mind is governing right? There's this harmony that goes in to this human body doing this extraordinary thing. Now, when one part of the body is not working, like let's say you're disabled, like me, it, you can't do that. When I run, it looks awful. Lord willing, you will never see that once there's a fire. But what, what Paul is saying is that we need this harmony. Each part of the body needs its, each other. If you're new or visiting our church, I want you to know that we're actually, as a church, we're coming out of a rough season. The pandemic and the, epi- and the epidemic of polarization has hit Trinity hard, just like it's hit much of the American church. But we have our own particularities to that. Substantial missional and ecclesiological disagreements have caused a portion of our community to leave to plant another church in another denomination. This is the season that we're coming out of. So to be honest, to be honest, I come to Romans 12, 16 with great weariness. He says, live, live in harmony. How do we do that? Brothers and sisters, we have not lived in harmony with one another. I fear the unity that we profess week in and week out was rather shallow. Our love for each other was not as genuine as we might have hoped. Now let me be very clear here. I'm not blaming anyone for anything. I'm rather letting God's word lead us in a retrospective of our community. You see, catastrophes reveal what is at the core, what is at the heart. And this pandemic has revealed a crucial structural weakness in our community. That is disharmony. I know that many of you are ready to move on, but if we don't name this to the Lord, if we don't name this to the Lord and to each other, if we don't repent of this cancer of divisiveness, there will be no healing. The prophet Jeremiah rebuked the prophets and priests of his day. He said, They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
Brothers and sisters, what did we allow to disrupt our harmony? Some of them are legitimate, deep, good, understandable issues. Some of them are a little ridiculous. Masks, live streams, vaccines, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, women's ordination, same-sex orientation, Biden versus Trump. I'm not saying that these aren't important or that we shouldn't take sides. But what does God's word say? It says live in harmony with each other. That's what genuine love does. It lives in harmony. And that includes a rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, as in verse 15. Love is not so committed to being right that it fails to be empathetic. Now Paul comes at a harmony at a different angle in verse 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, Paul is saying, you better pursue peace with all that you are. All that you are. You need to have exhausted all that you can do. Brothers and sisters, we will be judged by our efforts at peace or our lack of efforts at peace. Peace is a moral obligation. Genuine love pursues peace. Again, I don't want you to hear me blaming anyone except myself. Let me confess. because I, I know myself. You see, I contribute to the disharmony of our church. I have failed to love genuinely. You've probably heard of microaggressions. I have these micro-judgments. These micro-judgments of people that I carry in me. I do not honor them. I judge them. I judge them whether they have utility according to my standards. I value those who think like me and I demonize those who don't. Or I keep a tally of wrongs. And you know how I know when I'm, not, when I'm not pursuing harmony or peace? I get so angry. Like there's just this low-key anger. Kind of boiling this bitterness. Friends, I don't know if you're anything like me. The Lord calls us to give that up. To surrender that anger. There's so much anger in our church. So much frustration. And it comes out just like that. So little peacemaking. So little harmony. Paul has an interesting answer to this dilemma. He recognizes both that we will hurt each other and be angered in the process. But look at verse 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, what he says is, don't trust your anger. Your anger is not trustworthy. Trust God's. Trust God's. God's anger is always righteous, always just. And rather than act in anger, rather than act in anger, Paul calls us to honor even those who hurt us. He says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. In other words, do good to those who persecute you, who frustrate you, who get in your way. And Paul returns to this theme in verse 20. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
Friends, vengeance, bitterness, anger, those are all poisons to the Christian community. They are doors that Satan enters into to divide and conquer Jesus' church. Which is why Paul ends with this warning about evil. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He says, there is a moral stake in our community, the way that we treat each other. So here we have the harmony, the honor, and the heart of love. And if we are honest, which we should be, a church should never be afraid of naming the places where it fails. If we are honest, we fail desperately short of this. It causes me, to, it makes me think of Romans 7, 24, when Paul throws his hands up. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from my embittered, dishonoring, and unloving heart? And you know who it is? Jesus Christ. Remember, we can only love genuinely if we've been given a new heart of love by Jesus. And we can only love genuinely if we've known the genuine love of Jesus. And I want you now to look back at Romans 12 and see that this is all about Jesus Christ and how he has loved you. Christ's love for you is absolutely sincere, genuine, without hypocrisy. It is relentless in loving you towards goodness, which is himself, by the way. Christ's love never settles for less than the best of you. His love is affectionate, this affectionate, devoted love. In fact, he died to make you his family. He died to make you his family. Talk about honor. What honor has Christ bestowed on us? He endured the shame of the cross. He was brutally and publicly crucified in a shameful death. His honor was utterly stripped from him. And all this he did for us, the honorless, for those who did not deserve it, for his enemies. Yet he blessed when he was persecuted. When his enemies were hungry, he offered his body as bread. When his enemies thirsted, he offered his blood as true drink. The gift of his very life has made enemies into friends. And for those who believe in his cross, who put their faith in his death and resurrection, he bestows honor and glory. But that's not all. You see, Jesus not only died for our sins, he was raised. Amen? He overcame evil with good. And the vindication of that was the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And it is by that same power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, that actually binds our community together. We are the body of Christ kept together by the power of the Spirit. And so that genuine love that you struggle so much to show, you now have the power to do that. If you believed in Jesus Christ and given yourself to him. And Paul gives us these two very quick keys in verse 11 and 12. It says, be fervent in spirit. That should be capitalized. Be fervent in the spirit. The more that we are filled with the spirit of God, the more, the easier it is to honor, to live in harmony, to move towards others. And he says, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. 
There's so many times when I found myself bitter, angry, frustrated, tending towards disharmony, gossiping, slandering. And it's prayer that wakes my heart up to who Jesus is, to who I am. These are the means of grace that preserve the harmony of our body. Friends, you know what happens if, if there are two servants who have an issue with each other? You know who they need to go to? The master. How often do we not go to... We, we, we start fights with each other when we need to go to the Lord first. I want to give you a very brief application as we end. The hospitality of love. The final H. Look at verse 13. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, we live in a very different time than the Christian era, than the biblical era. Like, biblical hospitality back then was a vital task because they didn't have holiday ends. They didn't. <laughs> the church was continually opening their homes to travelers and pilgrims. But, friends, I think that we need hospitality now more than ever. And I don't just want you to think that hospitality is inviting someone into your house. Like, that's so passive. you got to come to me. You know what biblical hospitality is? It's moving towards someone. It's moving towards someone. It's saying, I want to know you. I want to love you. Love requires knowledge. Requires knowledge. There's so often when we walk in this room... It's so easy to have this attitude like, I just want to worship the Lord and hear the word preached, and I want to get out of there. I don't want to talk to anyone. Let me be bold here. That's not Christianity. That's consumption. You see, when you encounter Jesus in worship, you know what he does to you? He softens your heart to the very people that you looked around at. After we move towards Jesus, he actually enables us to move towards each other. Friends, I want every one of you to go out to coffee, to go out to lunch, to have someone over for dinner this month, have some church person. That is the kind of community that the Lord calls us to. Friends, and this is the kind of community that we want to host college students in. We have this incredible opportunity to partner with Josiah Carey in RUF. And don't we want these students to see that the church is different? In the midst of all the divisiveness of our culture, our diversity is an asset. It's beautiful. Because Jesus is the center. We would not hang out together if it was not for Jesus. We're too weird, too different, too opinionated. And yet that is a testimony to the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray for Josiah to that end. Father in heaven, we do pray that this kind of community, Lord, that you would enact that in our presence. Lord, would we be filled with your spirit? Would we, we be fervent in spirit? Lord, would we be diligent in prayer? Please, Lord. And would you give us nothing less than Jesus? Would he be the reason why we love each other and nothing else? not class or race or culture. Would you do this by the power of your spirit? In Christ's name, amen.